Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends, and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Michelle Beck. I am a two-time and nine-year survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, I write at a blog called I Never Liked Pink. I'm so excited about my guest today because she just has this amazing program to really help women move on after cancer treatment. Her name is Dr. Megan Bernard, ND. She is a board-certified naturopathic doctor and the founder of Flourish, The Roadmap to Recovery, which is a step-by-step cancer recovery and prevention method for women who just need that extra boost and want to feel empowered and energized after cancer treatment, which really includes all of us because we're all like low after cancer treatment. So we really need the help from individuals like Megan who create these wonderful programs. So welcome, Megan. And I'm, I'm so excited to talk to you today because you're another one of my international guests. You're in Nova Scotia. So I, I love that. I'm meeting people from all around the world. So please tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got started as a naturopath and why you really enjoy working with patients post-cancer. I know that's a tall order, so... <laughs> I'll go through all of that. No big deal. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for having me into your community today. I'm super excited to be a part of what's going on um, with everything that you're doing. Um, So as you mentioned, I'm a naturopathic doctor. I've been working with women uh, through cancer treatment and after cancer treatment for about uh, five, six years now. Um, I basically got into it. Just cancer has been a big part of my family in a way. So it's affected a lot of my family members. Mm it was something that I kind of experienced from a personal perspective. I've never had it myself, but I threw it my family members and just saw that um, there's a lot still to be, to be done when it comes to helping people, supporting them throughout cancer diagnosis and especially after finishing cancer treatment. Um, it's just uh, ever since I was in school, I've had a really keen interest in how cancer is just so prominent, but we still don't know a whole lot about it. Like a lot of people have it, but we still don't know a whole lot about how it starts and, and what causes it to grow and things like that. And just the biochemistry of it really kind of excited me. And then, yeah, that's that's how it got started. (laughs) Well, and as we all know, cancer doesn't just affect the patient it affects Mm -hmm. everyone in the family, caregivers, friends. So it's really important for all of us to be knowledgeable and know how to, how to really help people who have the, the patients and help ourselves as caregivers and friends and family. So you as a naturopathic doctor, you are many survivors or people who are in treatment go seek out help from naturopaths because they're not getting exactly what they need from standard Western medicine, which is great because I, I think we really need to incorporate all aspects of, of the healthcare system to really become our true selves again after treatment. And mm-hmm. so what happens to bodies? What are they going through after cancer treatment and why do they need a program like yours? Mm-hmm. So especially after cancer treatment is a, is a really big time to really look at nutrition and lifestyle changes. 
whenever you go through cancer treatment, the chemo, the radiation, the surgery, the steroids, the antibiotics, the hormonal changes, like all that can play a big toll on the body. Um, all the tissues have been affected throughout the whole body. There can be cell damage, tissue damage that we need to rebuild. We need to kind of make new, make new cells and um, to make new stuff and to help heal tissues that have been damaged through treatment. We need the proper nutrition. We need to kind of give the body what it needs to kind of grow. Um, so that's kind of what happens throughout treatment and why it's really important to dig in afterwards and take a good look at helping to heal these processes. Well, you just rattled off a whole host of things that are happening mm-hmm. in the body. So I imagine you can't just go after this willy nilly. You really need some kind of a plan. Yeah. Yeah. It's really important to have a plan, um, especially because everyone's so different. Like um, even if you've had the same type of cancer as someone else, it's often a di- different treatment process for the person and maybe you might get the same chemo, but perhaps you experienced the, you went through chemo a little bit differently. You had different side effects. So we really want to look at the person when it comes to creating a plan after finishing cancer treatment and figuring out what do you need, um, not what Sally down the street did. And will that apply to you? We really want to know what's going to work for you. Um, it's also really an important time to have a plan after treatment because this is when you're like, you're highly motivated to make change. You just went through something really big and really scary and you want to make sure that you're doing whatever you can to not have that happen again. So if you're really highly motivated at this time, let's really give you the right information. Let's really kind of plan out some steps for you to kind of get on, get on the horse in the right way and really make some good changes here. Um, so those are kind of really important reasons to have a plan afterwards is we want something that works for you and we want to kind of hit you in a time whenever you're highly motivated, when you can actually go ahead and feel like you're ready to make some nutrition and lifestyle changes. Cause it's not always easy. <laughs> no, it's definitely not easy. And especially coming out of treatment, you are, you, while you may be motivated, I think most people are kind of lost because mm-hmm. while your medical team has done the best they can to remove the cancer from your body or help you live well, if you are metastatic, you're still, you still don't know where to go. And I think the Mm -hmm. concerns of most are to probably recover faster because you don't just want to sit there and be like, or recover faster and how to prevent recurrence, because that is a huge fear that is on probably everyone's mind. I know I'm five years out from my second go around and I'm still concerned about how to prevent recurrence. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, to prevent recurrence, like there's so many things that you can do as well, but it can seem very overwhelming because you're probably taking in information from the internet, from books, from blog posts, from Facebook and all these things. And it's really hard to kind of figure out. So what do I actually listen to and where do I start? What do I do? Like what's going to give me the most bang for my buck? Um, And whenever we're working with people throughout all this, we hear all this, we understand where they're coming from. So what we try to do is we try to lay it out in a more, like organized process. Um, And typically this looks like looking at our six pillars of cancer prevention when it comes to reducing risk of recurrence. And our six pillars that we take people through um, in Flourish Storm After Recovery, um, the first one's nutrition. Like everyone always wants to know about nutrition. So we definitely want to start there with people. And it's so important to kind of, like I said, get the the things into place to help heal those tissues. So we look at food. We also look at movement, exercise kind of thing, mindset, because we want to deal with the stress. We want to deal with the overwhelm, Um, digestion, detoxification, because if we're not having a good digestive system, we're not absorbing the nutrients that we're trying to eat so good, like all those salads we're taking in are probably not going to get broken down and absorbed as well if we don't have a good digestive system. Another thing would be the environment. So what can we kind of change within our environment to kind of reduce any like environmental exposures? 
And then the last thing is epigenetics, which we might get into later, but it's a whole kind of conversation on its own. <laughs> okay. Well, I have, let's, right let's now I have no idea. I just want to know what that word means because I have no okay. idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No worries. So epigenetics are like little on and off switches that are on your genes. And the, what they do is they can kind of like be turned on or off depending on what's going on in your environment. And whenever they're turned on or off, they have different influences on your physiological processes. So like how well do you um, react to caffeine, for instance, can, de- can okay. be determined by epigenetics. Um, certain foods can kind of turn certain like genes on and off. And overall, they may influence certain other genes in your body, like cancer genes. So you can influence how you interact with your environment, what you eat, how you think, all that kind of stuff can have an influence on your genetic makeup, such as like cancer suppressor or cancer promoter genes. Got it. That was, that was a big topic. <laughs> no, but I, it actually helps it because I years ago did the ancestry.com the you know, the mm-hmm. swab and did that. And then a few years later was seeing a nutritionist and she took that data and put it into some magical, magical place and came back and we went over yeah. all of these things for my body in particular. And mm-hmm. I found out that I'm a slow caffeine processor, which mm-hmm. is super interesting to me because my husband is always in awe. Like I could drink caffeine right before I go to bed and have no problems. Mm-hmm. And, and my, my nutritionist was like, yeah, because it just, your body takes a long time to process it. I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> Ran, <laughs> random thought for the day. But yeah. um, so let's start with nutrition. What aspects mm-hmm. of that should women focus on when they're done with treatment? Nutrition is my favorite thing to talk about. So just interrupt me if I go on forever, because <laughs> I could talk all day. But um, we really look at macronutrients, macronutrients being the protein, carbs and fats when it comes to healing someone's body after finishing cancer treatment, because it's really these building blocks that get in and help to build new like GI lining, like a gastrointestinal lining, for instance, to help kind of nourish the brain to help to rebuild, like help with any skin healing, anything like that. So if you get a, a good amount enough, a good amount of protein, carbs and fats in your diet, then and you're really helping to fuel these processes. Um, so that's a big kind of thing that we look at whenever we're looking at nutrition for people who finish cancer treatment. So I imagine this is probably pretty challenging because there's so many different life. You don't want to say diets because it's not a diet. It really needs to be a lifestyle change, but there's so many of these different programs out there. What, mm-hmm. what do you think are like the biggest mistakes that, that people make when finishing cancer treatment in terms of nutrition or some of the other pillars? Mm-hmm. I feel like the biggest mistakes is people try to go really like jump into something like do a 360 turn basically and go very strict and jump into fad fad diets and stuff like that when um, they're not really that motivating to continue on because like you you actually just mentioned there it's a lifestyle it's not just a quick fix or a diet that we're looking at we really want people to learn how to establish habits in their day-to-day routines that become just a part of the way that they live and by jumping into really strict diets that's really hard to maintain for 10 20 30 years um, in the future kind of thing and if we can kind of teach more habitual changes and small steps as opposed to going willy-nilly hardcore into like a really strict diet, then I find that's way more effective in the long run for people when it comes to feeling better faster and also to preventing cancer from coming back. I was muted. Sorry about that. One thing (laughs) that I have done recently um, that I'm very proud of myself is I've about 90% given up my diet Coke addiction. Cause I love it. That's like, it's, I, I just, I do. That's my, that's my biggest vice other than, mm-hmm. other than carbs, but I, I won't buy it for myself at home anymore. 
if I go out, I'll still allow myself, you know, one, I don't go out very often, but I realize that's cutting baby steps for me is how I need to do something because like cold Turkey, then it's like, Oh my God, I want it so bad. Like, I really want a diet Coke. And mm-hmm. you know, I'm like going to go drive through seven 11 right now to get a soda, but it's, it's taking those baby steps. I think that really mm-hmm. can turn it into more of a lifestyle change than, okay, this is something I'm going to do for right now because I know it's good for me, but it's, mm-hmm it has to become that habit. Yeah. It can be really overwhelming to think, Oh, I've really got to turn everything and cut everything out a hundred percent. And if I don't do this right, then it's going to be not effective. And that's just not the way that nutrition changes work is small steps at a time, small changes. And it doesn't mean you have to hundred percent get rid of something that you enjoy or love to see a really big impact. Well, and one thing, um, I have a nutritionist fitness, um, trainer that I also talk to. And one thing she really talks about is, even if you're, you're, you're working on making changes and, and you backslide, like you have, you have a few cookies or you have some chips. It's like, it's not the end of the world. You mm-hmm. just don't feel guilty about it. Just move forward because like, if you feel guilty, then it comes into the shame and all these other things. And that's not what we're trying to do. We're trying to establish good habits going forward. And, you know, everyone has a moment where like, I really need that cookie, but <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I think just figuring out how to to make the changes long term so they will stay. So you will want to keep them, I think, is the most important part. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. So um, after treatment, you, you can work on your nutrition. But what let's kind of bounce back a little bit. What are the most common side effects that you see in patients when they finish with cancer treatment? Probably the biggest thing that we help our clients with is the fatigue that, hicks, that sticks around after um, finishing treatment. Um, whether it was chemo, radiation, a combination, surgery, um, the stress of going through treatment, uh, fatigue seems to be like the number one thing. And also like brain fatigue, chemo brain, brain fog, that kind of stuff pops up a lot. Um, other things we see quite often are the gastrointestinal intestinal issues like um, nausea, um, heartburn, like diarrhea, constipation can often stick around after treatment. And um, the other things like the nice things, like the hot flashes that all these women have to go through, (laughs) Um, neuropathy, bone loss. Yeah. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So those are the most common things that we see popping up after finishing cancer treatment and kind of the quicker we can dig in and help support people's bodies with nutrition and stress reduction and sleep and all that kind of jazz, the faster we can see these symptoms go away or, or at least reduce drastically, which is nice. And that is good. And and unfortunately, sometimes for women like myself, I am on the 10 year medication, Mm -hmm. you know, post treatment. So I I take the aromatase inhibitors and I am the poster girl for side effects. Like you name it, I've got it. Um, You know, I'm sure I will take my sweatshirt off here pretty soon because of a hot flash or, and I have the joint pain. And so I'm, I try to do all these different things to, lessen my side effects because I've been doing this for five years now. So I'm trying to, I've, I've figured out what works well for me. Um, mm-hmm. For the hot flashes, I do Chinese herbs and acupuncture and Perfect. that also helps my joint pain. I take a lot of supplements with <clears throat> magnesium and turmeric and, you know, I've found the things that really help de, de no, not de-amplify, but tone down my symptoms. And, and for me, I've found that I, you know, have a combination of melatonin and gummies that I take at night to sleep. So I I've literally tried all of the things. Mm-hmm. And I love that you're active and you go out and you like, you seek out options and you're not just sitting back. Like that's fantastic. I love hearing those stories. <laughs> well, especially doing what I do now, talking to um, yeah. wonderful 
professionals like you who have these great solutions. Uh, it's like, I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't try all of these things. Yeah, you got so many options now. <laughs> so what, what are some of the important steps that you would say to put together a post-treatment recovery and prevention plan? I would say the most important thing is to look at the person and do like an individualized plan and figure out what's going to work for them. Um, because if I tell someone to do a strict diet and um, it's just not going to work for their family, their lifestyle, um, it overwhelms them, that's just not going to work. So we kind of take a good look at what's going on for them. Um, maybe pick apart a few blocks that might be getting in the way of them making a, a change and then kind of laying out a process from there. Um, so that's like the number one thing I think of, but just to kind of get a little bit more detailed, like we always look at blood work, for example, because we want to mm-hmm. see things like, where's your vitamin D at, D as in dog, where's your B12, where's your iron, um, what's your inflammatory levels like, because this just gives us a good like starting point to start measuring progress along the way as well, and to just see where can we focus our attention. And then the other big thing that we consider is um, just outlining their goals. Like, what do you want to see happen? Where are you at right now? And then breaking it down into manageable steps and just something that's not going to completely throw them for a loop and say, this is everything that you got to get done. But let's say like, this is where we're aiming. Let's see where we can start and kind of like, how can we get to the next step? Once we're there, how can we get to the next step? Um, So those are kind of things that we want to look at when we're creating a recovery and prevention plan because people are like overwhelmed. Their brains probably aren't working as well as they want them to work. They're, they're fatigued. They've got a lot going on, probably stepping back into work and they're busy. Um, so just keep it as simple as possible and know that every, even like a small change can make a big difference. Perfect. We're definitely going to dig more into all these changes, but we do need to take a short break. Remember, listeners, you can make a donation on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444 to help Breast Friends continue on its mission to ensure that no woman goes through cancer alone. You could also go on our website and look at all of our patient programs to see what we could do for you. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Navigating clinical trials for yourself or a loved one can be incredibly overwhelming. And that's why we built Clara Health. We created the Clara platform in collaboration with advocates to provide an accessible and patient-centered way to connect with clinical trials. Our team is here to support you in making informed and autonomous decisions about your treatment options. If you'd like to learn more, visit clarahealth.com. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. 
You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck. And my guest is Dr. Megan Bernard. We've been talking about the steps to reduce the risk of recurrence and speed up recovery post-treatment. See, that's where my brain fog still comes in sometimes. Like you just mentioned, there there are so many things that you can really have side effects for the symptoms post-treatment. And I'm not going to lie, I'm five years out and I still have brain fog. And I didn't even have chemo, so I can't even say that. It's just I have cancer brain and the I know for me personally, I've done a little bit of research on it, the lack of estrogen because I've had my ovaries removed, um, that really affects your brain health and your short-term memory. So that unfortunately is something that I struggle with as well. And even though like my brain can process sometimes, it just doesn't get to my mouth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, now, I imagine the recovery time is different for everyone because they've gone, well, that you might be on a similar cancer treatment path. Each person's journey is different. So how long is, I, is there a standard time that you say to someone, okay, you're going to feel better in six months or does it really vary depending on the individual? It can very much vary depending on the individual, but I find that um, variation kind of depends more on what can they manage what are they willing to change that kind of stuff as well as like what treatment they had and um, how long ago um, did their journey start, that kind of stuff. Um, Typically speaking though, um, I find whenever people can get the right nutrition, the right lifestyle changes like sleep, stress reduction, exercise into place, um, then we can see a change in as little as four to eight weeks sometimes. But wow, again, okay. it, it, it does depend on the person. Mm-hmm. And some people, they do suffer with uh, the side effects for six months, a year, something like that. I think that's just generally the standard whenever you're released from your treatment plan and with your medical doctor, it's like, uh, when should I start to feel better? It's usually like, oh, wait on about six months. It might take about six months to start to feel better. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do find we can make a difference with that. See, for me, I know that I didn't start being proactive about taking care of myself post-treatment for a while. Uh, I had a young son at home. I'd been through a mastectomy and reconstruction and the oophorectomy and all of those things. And I, I was just really focusing on just getting through each day. Mm-hmm. And so I, I didn't know at that time that there was all these other options out there for me until I started volunteering at Breast Friends and connecting with practitioners and hearing the different stories of women who had been through it before me. And I think that's one thing that's actually really important about, you know, that's a whole separate episode, but about finding, finding your tribe and finding connection because everyone, if, if they have that heart, they can help people who come behind them. You know, I, I, this is what I love, what I do. I hope that things that I've gone through and all the people that I bring on the show, they really are helping listeners who are right there in the thick of it. So they can know, oh my gosh, there is a light at the end of the tunnel and we can't, we can help you. And there are different things to do. So I, I think that's so important. Um, Let's let's talk about one of the things that is um, near and dear to my heart. Unfortunately, is joint pain. So, how what recommendations do you have for someone who is possibly taking whether it's tamoxifen or any of the aromatase inhibitors at, that can cause the joint pain? For me, like I feel like my knees have no like like liquid in them. 
They're just mm-hmm. like, and they don't want to move. And it's not that they're hurting all the time. It just, they just don't want to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, stiff. What, <laughs> they're stiff. So what, what recommendations do you have for something like that? Yeah, joint pain is really tough. Um, And sometimes like we can reduce the overall feeling of like the pain um, and maybe give like more good days than bad. But it is one of those things that loves to stick around. But Mm -hmm. what you mentioned before, like acupuncture, there's actually some really beautiful literature showing that acupuncture can help with um, the side effects from hormone medications like um, the hot flashes and the joint pain. So a traditional Chinese medicine acupuncturist would be a good choice that way to see if you can see some relief. Um, we've also chatted with people about chatting with their prescribing physician to see if they can switch to different brands because there's mm-hmm. different like companies that make the hormone meds, um, and maybe try ch- switching up their doses. And that can make a difference too. Um, when it comes to joint pain, never do it on your own. And we don't, we wouldn't, um, advise on this either. Sure. We really want the pr- prescribing physician to be a part of it. Um, just gentle movement as well. It doesn't have to be like hardcore marathon running or anything like that to make a difference, but just nice walking, um, water sports are actually really good too, like swimming Mm -hmm. and then overall just reducing inflammation in the body and, um, just making the body more balanced with regards to all the way that it it heals itself and all the different physiological mechanisms going on. All these can kind of help to reduce the joint pain and any side effects from aromatase inhibitors. Well, and it's all kind of connected because I know, just from my own research that reducing the inflammation goes back to your nutrition and your diet and the different things that you're putting in your body that can be very inflammatory. Like for one thing, like I, I believe that I've read like tomatoes are bad for if you're trying to reduce inflammation. I love tomatoes. I could eat like eight tomatoes a day, but my body is like, no, those are not good for you. So yeah. it's trying to find what, what works for your own body. Exactly. And it could be different from someone else. Like they might not see the impact of tomatoes on their body, um, but everyone's just so different. There's a lot we still don't know about how certain foods react with certain people's genes and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. it's worth the experiment often to see if that's and a food for you. It really, and it's just being your own advocate, figuring out what works for you, talking to your medical professionals, finding a naturopathic physician like yourself to help people figure out what is going to work best for them. Um, and like you mentioned, like the exercise and, and slow and gentle movement for me i have pain in my my hands and the palms of palms of my hands and my feet from the the medication as well and it's different at different times of the day so like a long walk is painful for me with the joint pain i have found um we got a peloton bike a while ago i love it because i'm not putting the immense pressure on my joints even though they're moving and i'm not having the pain in the bottom of my feet from walking so it's something that i can do Mm-hmm. Um, and I really, it's, I love that. I, d- I did try a yoga class the other night for the first time through Peloton. And I'm like, oh, I used to be a big yoga proponent. I was, you know, a long time ago, but I loved it. And now I did this beginner class. I'm like, oh my God, my joints hurt. I can't do downward facing, get from yeah. here to downward facing dog. I was, you know, and the surgery on my shoulders and stuff on my arms, it's like, okay, well, this is different, but I can still make adjustments to figure it out. So I think that's Mm -hmm. really important, just figuring out what works for you. And it can definitely take time. Yeah. Time's a big factor. Yeah. And slow and steady wins the race. (laughs) I love that. My, uh, I was driving home from who knows where yesterday and my husband's like a drive slave. And I'm like, slow and steady is my jam now. We need to all just kind of relax throughout life. I think uh, the fast paced world just doesn't have anything on Pura Vida, which is what I learned in Costa Rica recently, like the pure life, the nice, calm life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
we can't always do calm overall, but finding the little steps. Like I just, I have a guest coming up. Um, We recorded yesterday, but she's on in a few weeks talking about just mindfulness and how meditation can help your day and breath work. And it all works together. Um, So let's go back to the things we're putting in our body. Are there supplements that we should avoid um, during or post-treatment? Yeah, I mean, generally, they're pretty safe. Um, And just reading the label can usually tell you a whole lot as well. Um, But there are a few that I tend to watch out for that I find a lot of people come to me on and we might take a step back and see, like, is it actually useful? Um, And maybe go through some potential negative impacts of it. And something that I often see people self prescribing is vitamin B12. And usually they're taking it because of they they got neuropathy and learned that that might help with their neuropathy. Um, And we want to watch B12 levels when it comes to cancer because B12 can be, it can kind of push DNA turnover and push cells to grow faster. So that can include healthy cells, but it can also include cancerous Mm -hmm. cells. So we want to make sure that we're not overdoing it on the vitamin B12, for instance. The other one is iron. We really want to check blood levels of both B12 and iron before we do any sort of prescribing because iron again can kind of encourage more cell growth. It can kind of encourage more inflammation if it's in, if it's in excess, if we're taking too much. Um, And then the other thing would be, I often want to make sure that people aren't taking too much curcumin or often even just taking curcumin when they're doing something like tamoxifen. There -hmm. are some studies showing that the curcumin may interact with some of the same enzymes that curcumin or that tamoxifen gets Mm -hmm. metabolized and broken down through. So we just want to make sure that we're checking for any potential interactions um, between anything that someone's taking and the medication that they're on. Totally makes sense. And doesn't, doesn't iron give you energy? So mm-hmm. people would be like, oh, I'm going to take iron because I, you know, I'm just feeling really down. But like, no, they could, it could really have really bad effects for you. Um, mm-hmm. And one thing that's not really a supplement that I didn't know my first time around is grapefruit. Grapefruit mm-hmm. can interact with medications and, you know, cause them to just not really work very well. So um, I, t- I tell everybody that watch your grapefruit intake. I don't care what, what cancer meds you're on, just stop. Smart. Yep. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you have favorite supplements that, what do you recommend that people should be taking? I, I love food. Like we always try to go food first. Cause again, it's mm-hmm. more sustainable, but there are certain supplements that we do often put people on um, more commonly um, such as like vitamin D vitamin D. It's my favorite uh, vitamin ever. It's um, involved in so many different processes in the body. So there's also a lot of research showing that it can improve cancer outcomes. So if someone's going through treatment, like they have active cancer and that their vitamin D levels are actually within the optimal ranges. They tend to have better outcomes. So better quality of life um, and like less disease progression, that kind of stuff. If their vitamin D levels are at a good level. So we always do blood work with, uh, to figure out what people's vitamin D levels are. Another thing that I often see in, in breast cancer is we, we, we want to look at melatonin. So you mentioned melatonin gummies that you might be taking there. Um, but we melatonin can also kind of play a role potentially in breast cancer development. So, um, and we also often see a lot of people with difficulty with sleeping. So melatonin mm-hmm. can help with that as well. Um, okay. So you just said melatonin and breast cancer development. Can we go back to that and, yeah. and talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. So melatonin is a sleep hormone. So like whenever it gets dark out, your eyes register that your brain registers that, and it makes you tired and that makes you tired because it's producing the melatonin. But at higher doses, we find that, or we know that melatonin can be more like an antioxidant and antioxidants are really great for protecting against oxidative damage. So just damage that may go out and hit some of these cells and cause them to become more cancerous or have more cancerous potential. So um, we, they're doing some studies or they've done some studies showing that, Um, women who may work different professions or have different um, 
different ways that they have less melatonin being produced. So perhaps they're not exposed to darkness as much, maybe at an increased risk of having breast cancer. Does that make sense? Everything I yeah. just explained? Okay. Yes. I just yeah. wanted to make sure it wasn't the opposite way, like that it was, mm-hmm. you know, leading towards recurrence. I'm like, no, no, please. Yeah. I like my, I like my melatonin. Keep it up. Yeah. It's all good. <laughs> it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, and let's go back to vitamin D for a second, because mm-hmm. you and I both live in places where it's not super mm-hmm. sunny all the time. Um, and especially yeah, I'm in the Pacific Northwest and you in Nova Scotia, yeah. uh, but we just don't get a lot of sun. And I really, I moved here from Southern California and I had no idea that I should have been supplementing with vitamin D at that point. And now I take a ridiculous amount and my oncologist, we talk about how much I take and I get tested every six months and I'm still in a good level, but I have to take so much to stay in that good level. So the blood work is so important. And um, it's just, it's definitely like in my, you know, everyday, my everyday toolkit. And that's definitely something that listeners, you should talk to your, your practitioners about that and make sure you're getting enough vitamin D because it's, it's definitely helps reduce the recurrence and, you know, will keep you on the right track. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Blood work is like totally key when it comes to those kind of vitamins like vitamin D, because like you said, like someone could come and they'd be like, Oh, I've been taking 10 drops for like the last couple of months. I'm sure my levels are fine, but we still test and still not quite there. Um, and the type of vitamin D supplement you take can also be important. The liquid form is usually the best absorbed in vitamin D3 as opposed to D2. Those kind of things can all be important factors in getting the right amounts in your bloodstream. And um, is it true that there, um, if you take it with vitamin K, it helps um, get into your body better? Is that, mm-hmm. is that the right way to say it? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So they kind of like help with the absorption, the K and the D work together. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing I would watch for though, like for instance, if you're taking 10,000 IU a day, sometimes they combine the K and the D in one supplement. And we Mm want to make sure that if you are taking 10 drops to get your vitamin D levels that you're not taking a 10 drops of the combo because then you'd be like overdosing on your vitamin K. So we Mm -hmm. do need less vitamin K than we would need vitamin D typically. Um, So just watch your doses if you are planning on taking the K and the D together. What does K do otherwise? Mm-hmm. Well, case okay, it's very important in a bunch of different things. So like it can be involved in blood clotting and bone, like bone absorption, things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you get K in like dark green veggies, those kind of things too can be important for your teeth even. <laughs> so um, okay. yeah, but mostly we use it for helping with vitamin D absorption. Okay. Um, you had mentioned one thing earlier that I want to talk about as well is bone health. Mm-hmm. What, what can we do to, um, because I know for me, the aromatase inhibitors, they're, they're bad on my bones, but mm-hmm. it's helping prevent cancer reoccurrence. So you, you have to choose the lesser of the evils. And I, I just had a back injury back in August. I fractured a vertebrae and it just was not healing. And it's just because I just, they're, my bones are not as healthy as they used to be. Is there anything we can do to help prevent the, the bone loss that might come with these medications? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is tough because um, bones are stubborn. They don't like to be protected <laughs> all the time. And then whenever yeah. estrogen goes away, it's even less protected kind of thing. But mm-hmm. the, the bone meds that you typically get, like the bone, bone kind of building meds, they actually work by preventing breakdown. So those are good if you can get the like Zometa, those kind of um, medications. Mm-hmm. Um, other things are just like exercise, strengthen your muscles, because if we have stronger muscles, they'll be able to kind of protect the bones from any sort of injury. Um, so 
exercise. I think that's a big reason why exercise is so pushed after finishing treatment and during treatment as well, on top of a bunch of other great things, but things like vitamin D, vitamin K, calcium, magnesium, there's something called hydroxyapatite. Um, you can get these in supplement form, sometimes all in one pill um, to kind of supplement what you might be getting from your food to help to extra protect your bones. Now the magnesium can also help with your overall state of calm as well, right? It just, it's mm-hmm. really good to take. And I imagine if you're, is that something you get nutrient wise? And if you're not focusing on it, or you really have to look for magnesium in your, in your diet? It is tough because magnesium is typically found in things like legumes. So like lentils, chickpeas, beans, those kind of things and veggies, which um, both of those are kind of hard to get into our diet sometimes because one, they aren't delicious like birthday cake and pancakes <laughs> and stuff like that. Like I agree. Um, and two, like, it's just, um, we're busy. We just, we can't get them in um, that way too, because we, they're just not easy to kind of grab and go. So if you feel like you're not getting enough veggies, if you feel like you're not getting a lot of legumes and magnesium could be something to really focus on. It's also on shellfish too. Um, but to, we do often find we are supplementing people with magnesium um, because it just, we get people to take it before bed. It helps us sleep. It can help with a lot of people who have a lot of anxiety um, and just kind of overall, it can even help with energy levels, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, what about sugar and cancer? Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, a lot of talk out there. What, what is true? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The big question, right? <laughs> The way, the way I look at it is if we, if we could just eliminate sugar, then we would have no cancer left if that were the big kind of major cause of that. Um, and I'm sure everyone would want to do that. But we do know that some level of sugar is safe in a, in a day-to-day basis. Like it's okay to have your cookie if you want your cookie now and then. Um, but what sugar can do is it's going to feed cells because it is an energy source for both healthy and cancerous cells. Um, so it can technically fuel cancer. And I think that's what people mean whenever it says that cancer sugar feeds cancer. Mm -hmm. Um, And the big thing I find is that it also can stimulate inflammation. It can also dysregulate insulin levels, insulin's a known growth um, promoter, that kind of stuff. So there is something to consider when it comes to reducing sugar and improving your cancer recurrence rates, like making sure that doesn't come back. But I don't want people to be absolutely terrified of sugar because they're thinking that cookie that they really enjoy is going to be something really destructive. It's not moderation. So we do need to take a short break, but I wanted to remind the listeners out there, if you would like to be a guest on my show or tell me your warrior story that I can read that tells us what inspired you after cancer or how your life has changed for the better since cancer, please email me. I'm at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back soon. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Navigating clinical trials for yourself or a loved one can be incredibly overwhelming. And that's why we built Clara Health. We created the Clara platform in collaboration with advocates to provide an accessible and patient-centered way to connect with clinical trials. Our team is here to support you in making informed and autonomous decisions about your treatment options. If you'd like to learn more, visit clarahealth.com. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. 
You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Thanks for staying with us. I'm Michelle Beck, and my guest is Dr. Megan Bernard, and we have been talking about how to stay healthy after cancer, speed up reoccurrence, and how to just feel better. And post-treatment is such a scary time, and for for many, it's not like they're like, oh, I want to go start in this amazing exercise regimen. So what what steps do you have for for women who who want to start exercising but just might not feel great? How do you get started on some kind of a program like that? It is tough because like myself, I really don't like exercising. So it's kind of hard sometimes to, yeah, it's hard to push yourself to do these things. So Mm -hmm. um, I think the number one thing is just to like, take a look at what are you willing to do? What can you manage to start with? And not to think like, oh, I got to start exercising and I must do it four or five days a week. And if I don't do it, then I'm feeling like, let's just see what can you do once a week? So let's just kind of start super simple. Um, and realize that there's not just one exercise that's going to be the absolute best. It's about what's going to work for you and kind of meeting you where you're at. Cause you mentioned yourself, like if you get sore palms and, and like the, the bottom of your feet, like walking is going to be really hard. So what can we do instead that might be more manageable for you? There are certain guidelines in place, like the World Health Organization, for instance, kind of recommends like 180 about minutes a week of like moderate intensity exercise where it's like you you can't sing, but you can talk. So that would be like what moderate intensity exercise is. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that's more of a goal. We don't need to get you there like tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> so that not can... going to be like you finished treatment last week. I want you moving for three exactly. solid hours, which mm-hmm. I would look at that and be like, um, no. Yeah. So heck, if you can go for like a five minute walk through your house, just do that. And that's totally fine. And we just got to build up from there and not become unmotivated and overwhelmed with everything that you should be doing. Let's just see where we can kind of get you started. Well, and it's kind of scary how fast you can lose, even if you were super fit and a regular exerciser pre-treatment, after treatment, your body has changed and been through so much. And even for me, I last year, I was doing really good on my Peloton. I was riding four or five times a week. I had good stamina. And then I hurt my back. And I was off for about five months until I really felt comfortable getting back on again. And I've been so frustrated because I can't, I don't have that stamina anymore. And like a 20-minute ride is kicking my ass where I used to be able to like do 30-minute hard rides. And now I'm like, oh, so it's it's really about just building that up again and and taking the time and and not being hard on myself. Cause I mean, I I, I get it, 
It's just, mm-hmm. oh, but I'm motive. I'm really motivated to get back at it because I know it's really good for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot about exercise is more like mindset and acceptance and simplicity as opposed to going to the gym every day. And like, I think we do get people who are, are like, um, athletes and like you said they're used to being more active and they are ready to get into it but it's about kind of having them understand that you're going to be a little bit behind doesn't mean you're not still making some progress so you got it and you talked about mindset just then and mm-hmm. what if what if your mindset right now is just pure stress because mm-hmm. you're wondering oh my gosh is my cancer going to come back how and that's a big issue for me and I'm 5 years out which is what a lot of people consider a really good goal to get to but I mm-hmm. still stress about it how how do I get through this. Mm -hmm. It's totally a normal feeling to feel that stress. And I think that's something that should be kind of acknowledged and recognized as well, because I think there's not much that's harder there than going through cancer treatment. And, and it's really, it's really hard on you. It's hard on your family, that kind of stuff. So it's going to take a toll for longer than five years, even if they say five years is a safe kind of point. Um, So it's totally understandable for people to feel that way. Um, one way that we do help people to focus on reducing that stress is by looking at making some changes to feel good and not necessarily on making changes just to kind of keep cancer away. So we don't want you to, we don't want you to like go to that yoga class because yoga has been shown in the research to not have cancer come back. We want you to go to that yoga class because it's helping you to become stronger and to, um, to feel more comfortable in your body and to get more energy. So we want to focus on those kind of positive aspects as opposed to looking at, well, we're just going to do this because it's going to keep cancer away. Cause then always think about cancer just kind of gets stuck in your head. It's really hard to let that go. But if we start to kind of train the brain to think more positively on the energy and on the better sleep and on the stronger muscles, then that is a way better motivational factor than something that's kind of just always going to be hanging over your head. That doesn't really have a tangible kind of feel to it. Make mm-hmm. sense. hundred percent. And yeah. a couple of things that I've actually started recently, a gratitude journal, which, mm-hmm. which seems like everyone's like, Oh, everybody really talks about that. But Honestly, if you take a few minutes every day and write just what you're grateful for for that day or a few things that went well that day, and if you go back and look at them later and like it really, it compiles quickly. Like, mm-hmm. yes, I, I may have been through cancer treatment and I'm struggling with this, this, and this, but I've got all these wonderful things. Like I just spent a wonderful weekend with one of my best girlfriends and her son and our boys. We had a great time. I'm so grateful for that. Mm-hmm. Was the walking a lot that we did hard? Yes, it was. But I'm I'm here and I'm able to do it. And one thing also um, in a book that I just read for a future guest um, called When Women Rise, it's talking about finding a mantra that works for you that you can just say whenever you're having a moment and you just need it. And I found one. It is, I'm grateful for this body, mm-hmm. this breath, and this life. Oh, yeah. So no matter no matter what is going on in my life, I'm here and I can deal with the side effects and I can deal with the pain because I'm here and I'm incredibly grateful for that. So I think it's, it's finding that right mindset wherever you find it is super important. Mm-hmm. No, that's awesome. And I love mantras. I love gratitude journals and just positive thinking in general, because our brains are naturally tuned to want to think about the negative because it's a protective mechanism. It's Mm -hmm. how we stay out of trouble. It's how we make sure that we stay healthy and stuff like that is we think about all the bad things out there. So by doing gratitude journaling, by having a mantra, this kind of trains our brain to start thinking more positively, to focus on the positive and put that negative stuff kind of further in the past so that we can live our lives a little bit better. 
Nice. And talk about living our lives better. One thing that is super important is sleep, which yep. is, I know, one of, one, of, one of the pillars we talked about. Um, I definitely struggle with sleep issues. And until I found what worked for me, I couldn't fall asleep. When I did, I was wide awake at three o'clock again, which is, you know, the witching hour for many. And I, I know the reasons why behind it, but what, what strategies do you have that will, can possibly help for people post-treatment with sleep? Yeah, sleep is like a little bugger. It's like the hardest thing to change. It takes the longest thing to kind of see an impact. But if you can kind of stick with some certain, they're called like sleep hygiene changes, then it can really make a difference. Um, and sometimes it might take like a couple of weeks, even a couple of months to really see a big impact. But um, certain things like establishing a bedtime and a wake routine. So if you go to the bed at the same time and wake up at the same time um, and not allow you not allow yourself to kind of sleep a little bit for like in the morning, you fall back to sleep for half an hour, you're up for a little bit like that can really disrupt something called your circadian rhythm, which is that sleep wake cycle. Um, so bedtime and wake time at the same time, no napping. Um, <laughs> I love I naps. Know, I know. Everyone hates <laughs> me for that one. It's funny because I always say, you're going to hate me the most whenever we're working on your sleep, but you're going to love me the best at the end of it whenever you see the results. Because working mm-hmm. with sleep can really be torturous for a lot of people. But if we can kind of really dial in and be really strict with a lot of these things, you can really see a big difference. But yeah, no napping. <laughs> yeah, Limiting caffeine, all these things. You're probably going to be a little bit more tired in the beginning when we start making sleep changes. But it's, uh, it's for like a long-term outcome. Um, even like a, my favorite is a sleep routine. Do you have any sort of like sleep routine established yet? Um, when I'm trying to fall asleep, I do usually do a sleep meditation or I listen to a story on the call map because I'm one of those people that I can't shut my brain off. Mm -hmm. So if I'm listening to something that I'm not super invested in, but that I can focus on, it allows me to actually fall asleep better than I would without it. Smart. It's like a bit of a distraction so that Mm -hmm. your thoughts can kind of be focused as opposed to trying to wake you up. But no, that's great because sleep routines are important. So like we establish sleep triggers. So sometimes just having the same cup of herbal tea before bed can start to mm-hmm. like tell your brain that we're getting ready for sleep now. Let's try to remember to, to do that tea and get ready for sleep. So little sleep triggers like that can be beneficial too. Yeah. One thing that I definitely struggle with, I'm, I get my best sleep in the mornings. Mm-hmm. Like literally, but I, I, I will wake up all throughout the night and then in the, like I could sleep until 10, but you know, my lifestyle doesn't allow me to sleep until 10 every day because mm-hmm. the alarm goes off at 630 to get my son to school and the dogs and all that. So I, I'm not going to lie. I do sleep in on the weekends when I can, and then I'm mm-hmm. sure I pay for it overall, but I love sleep. That's really fine. Maybe something like a sleep lamp can be beneficial for people who have trouble waking up in the morning, like earlier, where you get Mm -hmm. like a sunlight lamp and having that sit in front of you can help to reestablish that circadian rhythm where it starts to boost that cortisol that should go up in the morning to wake you up. And then that can then allow your melatonin to kind of go up in the darkness and put you to sleep a little bit earlier. Interesting. Okay. So let's move move back. And I want to talk more about the epigenetics because Mm -hmm. um, I think that whole thing is super cool. So you explained Mm -hmm. what it was, but how does it work? Yeah. So what we do is a test. Um, It's usually just a saliva test. It's kind of like if you do the ancestry.com, 23andMe, anything like that, you can kind of take that raw data and put that into another program. And then it comes up with things like how well does, do you like um, metabolize carbohydrates? Um, How responsive are you to certain antioxidants in your body? Um, Something as simple as like, it tells you a little bit about caffeine. It can tell you about like lactose intolerance, those kind of things. Um, And we take that 
information that's kind of based on your epigenome, your genetics. And then we can then kind of kind of customize the way that you eat, the way that we establish sleep patterns, um, focus on certain proteins, for instance, focus on maybe reducing carbohydrates or increasing healthy fats. So we can kind of just take this information that's kind of based on your body and then customize any nutrition and lifestyle changes going forward with that. Now, how if we have listeners out there who are interested in doing something like this, but they can't see you because you're in Nova Scotia, do you have ways that you could do it virtually? Um, like they could do home tests and then like send you the information and you could plug it into your magic system? Yeah, I actually work 100% virtually now. Um, I'm all okay. online and work with people across North America. So um, if anyone's interested, we could talk, chat about that. Or most nutritionists or naturopathic doctors or functional medicine practitioners who might be in your area as well would offer a test similar to this. Um, and I would work with a practitioner on this one because it can be complicated. Sometimes you can get these sure. tests and it actually has all the information written out for you but then it's like it's like 12 or 15 or 20 pages of information and you're like whoa do I have to do all of this so having a practitioner in your area who, who does um, epigenetic testing if you just ask for epigenetic testing um, they can usually just send you home with a kit you can order a kit online you just do your own spit test and send off the results super simple got it um, something that really is is key to my cancer because it fed on estrogen both times how can we reduce estrogen in our bodies because um, many breast cancer feed on feed on estrogen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the best way to really reduce estrogen is have a good bowel movement. And if anyone has ever worked with a naturopathic doctor, they know how much we love talking about poop. Um, <laughs> <so> <laughs> the way that estrogen gets eliminated from your body is through bowel movements. Um, so if we can kind of maintain regular bowel movements throughout the day, that means that it's not just kind of sitting in your intestines, getting reabsorbed back into the bloodstream and redistributed throughout the body. So if we can just encourage regular bowel movements through exercise can help with bowel movements. Mm -hmm. um, getting enough fiber, enough water, um, and making sure that you have good gut microflora. So the little microorganisms that are in your, your gastrointestinal tract, make sure that those are nice and good for metabolizing and digesting and moving things through your system. Got it. I've never heard that before. So thank you for mm -hmm. teaching me something today. Oh, my pleasure. <laughs> about, about poop. <laughs> yeah, I talk about poop all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so unfortunately, gosh, we are almost out of time. So can you tell our listeners how they can reach out to you and find out more about your programs and, and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So you can follow me over on Facebook or Instagram if you look at uh, Megan Bernard ND. Um, I also have a Facebook community group, uh, 4,000 plus members right now. It's called Getting Your Health Back After Cancer. Oh, I'm going to have to sign up for that because I obviously didn't, didn't find that when I was looking for you. No, I um, have you. <laughs> so perfect. Megan, thank you so much for being here today. So, so wonderful to be able to share. And um, I really hope that, you know, our listeners reach out because you just have such good philosophies and to, to find your Flourish After Cancer program. And um, yeah, flourishaftercancer.com, correct? Mm -hmm. Yep, that's perfect. my website. Yeah, and, um, and listeners, she definitely has a lot of great stuff on Instagram and I follow her there. So at Megan Bernard, MD. So listeners, if you or a loved one need our services, please visit breastfriends.org. You can make a donation on our website or by texting BF radio to 41444 to ensure that no woman goes through cancer alone. You can find this show on many platforms, Voice America's Health and Wellness Channel, or wherever you find your podcasts. If you would like to be on my show, you can nominate yourself or submit your warrior story to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Megan, again, thank you so much for being here today. It's been such a pleasure. My absolute pleasure as well. And <laughs> listeners, you. we'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other.
Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle Beck again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.